0: Please do join me and take out your bibles once again and turn with me to Luke chapter 4. Before we begin and spend the next few minutes in God's word, let's turn to him once again in prayer. Almighty God, our heavenly Father, as we just sang, we are wandering pilgrims. We are We've been brought out of the house and the land of slavery, and we are not yet in the promised land. We are in the wilderness. And so, Father, we do need that chart and compass to guide us. We need your path made clear for us to trace. So, Father, be pleased to meet with your gathered people. May your word be our rule, your Holy Spirit our teacher, and your greater glory our supreme concern, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Here we are at week five of knowing for sure the gospel according to Luke. The Bible is hard to believe. Would you agree with me? I mean, some passages, some text, some verses are harder than others to believe. Even people that profess faith in Jesus and trust God and trust his word, there are parts of the Bible that are just hard to believe. I mean, take a moment in your own mind and, and tell yourself what verse, what couple of verses do you find really hard to believe? Well, let me share one of mine. Sometimes I find this verse really hard to believe. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability but with the temptation he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it For me, and maybe for you today, it may be the hardest to believe. But on the flip side of that, it may be the most needed to believe. The hardest and the most needed. Now, have you ever thought about what the temptation in the middle of the temptation is? It's the temptation to give. Not, not give money, the temptation is to give up, to, to give in, to, to, to not look for or to find the way of escape. Now, the 19th century Irish poet and playwright Oscar Wilde said a few things about temptation. I can resist anything but temptation. And the only way to get rid of temptation is to yield to it. Did you hear that? Let me repeat it again. That the only, that, that I can resist anything but temptation, and the only way to get rid of temptation is to yield to it. I mean, it's somewhat humorous. It's, it's somewhat sad, though, as well. Now, is that the case? Is this the way it is and will always be that you, the temptation is you can't resist it or the only way to get rid of it is to yield to it? Is that the way it's always going to be? Maybe for him, for Oscar Wilde, maybe for many men, women, boys and girls, but not for every man. Not for every man man see the promise is that God will provide the way of escape now sometimes we can get hung up on definite articles right or articles indefinite or definite right you you students you know a and and the is it the or the help me out is it the or is it the it's the okay Here's the definite article, the way of escape. Not a way of escape, but the way of escape. I mean, Paul's right into the Corinthian church, and he's talking to them about the way of escape, not a way of escape. Now, we've all heard the announcement, right? The closest exit may be behind you. You know what? It may not be either. You see, the way of escape may be, the exit may be right in front of you, right in front of your eyes. If you would turn with me to Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12, um, I want us to recall how the author of the letter to the Hebrews speaks about looking, not looking behind you. Not looking to the side, but kind of looking ahead. And not to something, but to someone. Listen to verses 1 through 4 of Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, Looking to Jesus. What is Luke doing in his gospel? He's making Jesus known. It's what all the gospel writers are doing. They're wanting the reader to look to Jesus, to know Jesus, to trust Jesus, to follow him. Remember, Luke's got a purpose and plan here. Uh, He wants... To provide certainty about the person and work of Jesus. You see, the author to the Hebrews says, look to Jesus. And and Luke is one of the authors that's helping us know, as it were, what Jesus looks like. He wants to provide certainty about the person and work of Jesus. Not arrogant, overconfident, self-confident certainty, but, but humble, grateful certainty and sureness. And he's got a plan. He tells his, his patron, his one audience, Theophilus, to, to, I'm going to write an orderly account. An account that's historically accurate, that is thoroughly researched, that is well organized. Organized for the purpose of showing who Jesus is and what he came to do. And remember, the one verse in Luke that we can hang our hat on is Jesus in chapter 19, verse 10, saying that the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And Luke is going to show us that Jesus seeks and saves all kinds of people who are lost in all kinds of ways. Just like now, Jesus through the work of the Holy Spirit saves all kinds of people lost in all kinds of ways. Luke wants his reader then and now to know for sure that Jesus is for real. And today's text will help us get to know Jesus as he's revealed, as he's made known in the scriptures. So the last couple of weeks, we've been seeing Luke set the stage for the public ministry of Jesus. Last week, it was preaching good news to the people. We looked at Jesus' baptism, his family tree. We looked at the, the humanity of Jesus, the divinity of Jesus. He is the son of God, the son of Adam. John is using the spoken word Luke is using the written word to preach good news about Jesus then and now. So let's get into chapter four. And in addition to just Luke having a plan and purpose, we see in these first couple of verses that God has a plan and a purpose as well. Join with me as I read verses one and two of chapter four. And Jesus full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. I think it's important that we see that Jesus is full of the Spirit. He's being led by the Spirit, not just into the wilderness but here we read in the wilderness it's not the spirit gets Jesus to the door of this wilderness and then kind of backs off no Luke wants us to know that the spirit leads Jesus in the wilderness you see this is the providence of God this is not by accident this is deliberate Jesus is going into the wilderness for a purpose according to the plan of God. I mean, sometimes when we're in the wilderness, I mean, you may be there now today. You may be such that when you open up the word of God, it is like a fruitful garden and you are just picking the vegetables and fruit. Or you may open up the word of God and and tumbleweeds come out and dust falls out. You know, sometimes being in the will well, some, it, being in the wilderness maybe is actually the will of God. It was for Jesus. There's a providential care taking place. And here, being full of the Spirit and being led by the Spirit, it connects Jesus' baptism and it's gonna connect to his next Section where Jesus begins his public ministry as he's in the synagogue and he opens up Isaiah. In this first couple of verses, Luke is setting up the contrast. Uh, There's gonna be a contrast between the first Adam and the second Adam or the last Adam, Jesus. There's gonna be a contrast between the nation of Israel and Jesus as true Israel. You remember, Adam and Eve, they were called to be faithful, but they failed to be faithful. The nation of Israel was called to be faithful, but for 40 years, they wandered in the wilderness, and time and time and time again, they showed themselves to be unfaithful through testing, through trials and temptations. You see, Here's the scope of starting with a man and then going to a family of Abraham and then to the nation of Israel and then back to a man, the second Adam, the last Adam, Jesus, true Israel. And with that man comes a new family. And one day that family, as it were, will occupy the world as it will be an innumerable number of people in the new heavens and the new earth who are part of the family of God, rescued and being ruled by Jesus. You see here, Luke is setting this up, and he wants us to see that Jesus is repeating the same experience of Old Testament Israel. Israel was, as it were, baptized in the Red Sea coming out of Egypt, and then they wandered in the wilderness But it also goes even further back than that. It goes to Genesis 3, to the fall of man into sin, sin. Remember, in the garden, perfect, full of food and good things to eat. And yet, the first man and woman listened to lies, listened to the voice of a deceiver, and plunged themselves and all of their posterity into sin in a perfect environment. And here, as we will see more, Jesus is not in a perfect environment. It's a harsh environment. It's the wilderness of Judea. It is arid and barren. And we see he's been fasting for 40 days. Man in a perfect environment sins. Man, as we will see, in a less than perfect environment doesn't sin so we're gonna now open up and explore the three temptations that Jesus faces and successfully resist we'll focus on the unique aspects of the temptations for Jesus and then we'll take a look at the common aspects of the temptations for all of us and for each of them we're going to consider what we can learn about I guess sin the devil Satan or the adversary kind of one category And what we can learn about Jesus and what we can learn about ourselves. And here's a simple outline. It didn't take me long to come up with this one. The first temptation, the second temptation, and the third temptation. You know, there's a reason that sometimes they have three points, right? It's right there in the text. The first temptation, verses 3 and 4, the second, 5 through 8, and the third, 9 through 12. I'm going to pick up now and read verses 3 and 4 the devil said to him if you are the son of God command this stone to become bread and Jesus answered him it is written man shall not live by bread alone here in this first temptation it's a temptation as it were to meet your own needs to meet your own needs and it raises questions of God's care and provision now what's what's sin up to? what's The devil, uh, Greek or Satan, Hebrew. Uh, The devil, Satan, God's prime principal adversary. Now, what is this enemy of God up to? You know, Jesus, in speaking of his ministry, says that the thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy, but he has come that we would have life. This enemy is attempting to steal, to kill, and destroy. And what's he doing? He's attempting to deceive Jesus into doing wrong, to disobey his father. And what does he say? He says, Jesus, use your newly confirmed status to perform an act of power to to satisfy your hunger. You know, this if statement, if you're the son of God, if you are the son of God, the, the, the enemy is not doubting that he is the son of God. But he's saying, hey, with that status, use it. Use it for your benefit. Use it for your purposes. It's a temptation for Jesus, as I said, to meet his own need, uh, to turn the stone into bread. Now, the temptation is to disobey his father, to, to, to establish, to satisfy his immediate physical need, to, to take a shortcut, right? Instead of waiting For God to provide instead of trusting that God would provide it's no take matters into your own hands and and yet in the midst of hunger in the midst of harsh environment in the midst of a real simple request Jesus resists he resists of course using The word of God, he's going to use for all three temptations, Deuteronomy 6 through 8, that that section that has called God's people to be faithful to him in the wilderness. Jesus answers, of course, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. In Matthew's version, it continues, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. How about you? What kind of temptation are you facing even right now to meet your own need? To to think that God is not going to care for you. He's not going to provide. I was just talking to Ron a m- few minutes ago about the hymn that I think we'll hear on November 5th to close it out, The Lord will provide. Though danger is there friends abandon you foes unite the Lord will provide Jesus in resisting is saying the Lord my father will provide are you in a similar position now is there something where you know that there's a something that you need to take into your own hands But you also know that you really need to wait on the Lord, to trust in the Lord. Because I think we'll see over and over and over again, the biggest temptation, the biggest area of sin is to not trust God, to to not believe him. I mean, there's no law against, you cannot make this stone into bread, right? There's no law in the books that says that. Jesus, resist. This first temptation has to do with the decision to take matters into your own hands. Jesus would say, as we see in John, that no, no, he's going to do the will of his father. His food is to do the will of his father. But now let's move to this second temptation. Whereas this first temptation was to take matters into your own hands, this second temptation is, in a word, to avoid The cross. Read verses with me, 5 through 8. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time, and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. It's an invitation to engage in false worship. What's what's the devil up to? What's Satan up to? What's the adversary? He's, in a word, I'll give you the entire world if you'll just worship me. I'll give you the entire world. Whatever you see before your eyes, I'll give it to you if you worship me. Now, the world does and does not belong to Satan. We have scripture that says he is the prince of the power of the air. The world belongs to Satan. But we also know that we see in Job, Job, Satan only acted with the permission of God. And so Satan here is not, providing a genuine offer Uh, he's the father of lies it's really not his world to give because Jesus knows that his father will give him the nations it's just a matter of time but now is not the time you see if, if if Jesus were to bow down to Satan if he were to worship Satan it would, be, it would be bowing to the crown of Satan and not taking up the cross. Jesus answers, of course, once again from Deuteronomy, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. We read in Deuteronomy chapter six, verse thirteen: "It is the Lord your God you shall fear; him you shall serve." And it and it picks up on the, the part of uh, "Hear, O Israel: the Lord, the Lord your God is one." And you shall worship the Lord with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your strength. Here is Satan tempting Jesus. It's, it's, a, it's a foreshadowing also of the time where Peter didn't like the fact that Jesus said he was going to he was gonna have to go to the cross. Peter did not like it. Peter rebuked Jesus, you may recall. I think it's around Mark 9. And what did Jesus do? He turned around and rebuked Peter. And he said these words, Get behind me, Satan. Here it is, another shortcut. Earlier, it was, you're hungry, make bread out of a stone. And here, why wait for the kingdom? Why wait? You can have it now. You can have worldly power. I mean, one application, of course, of this is, is worldly power the goal of the church? I mean, Satan's always trying to make a deal with the church. You do this, and you'll no longer be persecuted. You do this, and you'll have respect in society. You do this, and you'll have your needs met. Always a temptation for the church. Always a temptation for individual Christians. In a word, it's another shortcut. It's being unwilling to wait to wait for God to provide, for Jesus, for, for you. We had a new cross-country coach one year. I think I was a junior, maybe a senior. And we guys on the cross-country team, we knew some shortcuts for practice. You know what I mean? We didn't think the new coach knew that we had shortcuts, but evidently he did. Because when we made the turn to cut off like about a mile loop, he was there. Watching and waiting. It did not go well for us. It was a temptation to cut it short. And Jesus is resisting. Jesus is resisting what? Worship. What does our postcard say? I mean... To be human is to worship. Who or what are you worshiping? You know, we could have sung, "Rob, worthy of worship," because only God is worthy of worship. But yet, the enemy, who will juggle any number of things in front of us, says, "Just follow me, and you'll get what you want." Again, the bait is very attractive. I mean, kids, why does a fish bite a hook? Why? Because he wants the bait. And Satan, our adversary, is a master at crafting the bait that appeals to our appetite. So to be human is to have an appetite. What is it that you're hungering for? What is it that you're longing for? Jesus knows that his father only can provide the security, the satisfaction, the significance. Satan's got a counterfeit security, counterfeit significance, counterfeit satisfaction. Jesus resisted with the word of God and we resist as well. So this second temptation has to do with achieving glory before Suffering. It's a temptation for all of us to skip the cross to get the crown, to avoid and go around, take a shortcut to the glory. And now we've got the third temptation. And this third temptation is to force God to prove himself. Join with me as we pick up in verse 9. And he, that is the devil, the devil up to what's the adversary up to well he's learning a lesson right Jesus thinks highly of scripture so does Satan he's using scripture now in the temptation he's quoting scripture he's quoting Psalm 91 verses 11 and 12 my friends we should all wake up at this because the enemy can quote scripture. The enemy of God and his people can can use scripture, but of course it is a misuse of scripture. It is an abuse of scripture because he's quoting it for his own purposes, his own interest. He tells Jesus that, Jesus, to throw yourself off this high point of the temple over the Kidron Valley, Jesus, that would just... That would would be an act of faith. That would be an act of faith. Don't, Don't you want to demonstrate your trust in God? Don't you want to demonstrate that this scripture will be fulfilled? My friends, there is a huge danger in using scripture for purposes other than it's there for remember the, what is it, the demons believe and shudder? The enemy can quote scripture, but you've got to see scripture in the context, in the overall plan, in the overall scheme of things. As they say, any heresy can be proof text by a scripture here and there. And Jesus answers, no, I'm not going to force God to, to prove my sonship by leaping from the temple, no. In reality, Satan, you're thinking that would be an act of faith. That would actually be an act of unbelief. Because you don't test somebody in whom you already have complete trust. You see, Jesus already trusts his father. He's not going to need to prove it. Do not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested him at Massa. If you go back to Exodus 17, you can see how Israel put God to the test. You know, putting God to the test really is an act of, of disobedience. But more than that, it, it's a lack of trust. And more than that, it's a lack of love. You know, I think it was Ligan Duncan I quoted a few weeks ago saying something like that the, about all the imperatives of the New Testament, but it can be boiled down to one. Trust Him. Trust Him. It's not just obedience to this law and that law. It's do we trust God? And behind that trust and beneath that trust and all around that trust is a love for God. It's a lack of love. Now, did you notice that all these temptations were directed at Jesus as the Son of God? Satan attempted to disrupt, to destroy that inner relationship with the Father that that he had such that his status at the Messiah rests. Now, these temptations were unique to Jesus, but we can see already they are common to all men, to take matters into your own hands, to to avoid suffering, to demanding that God prove himself. So Jesus here is an example to be sure, but, but something deeper is at work here. You see, Jesus is modeling for us what faith looks like, trusting, the Lord to provide rather than making decisions on the immediate urgency of the situation. See, the call of faith is the call to look to the Lord to provide what, it is, what is needed and when it is needed. My late, my late mother-in-law used to say often to me, always at the right time, that God is never in a hurry He's never late. He's always right on time. But you know, my friends, if you're like me, that's hard. That's hard to get to that point where you believe that when it's needed, God will come through for you. What are you going through right now where you're tempted to take matters into your own hands, that you're tempted to get out of suffering by any way, attempting to believe the lie? What is it? God's never in a hurry. Jesus knew. Jesus learned. He's never late. He's always right on time. I think it's in Mark, says that the Lord provided angels to minister to Jesus. So all this to say is Luke is showing us that Jesus' success at resisting temptation reveals that he's qualified now for the ministry on which he is about to embark. Look at verse 13. Verse 13. And when the devil had ended every temptation, you think it was just three? No, Luke is summarizing. Luke is bringing to bear, just like Matthew, these big three ones. When the devil had ended every temptation over the 40 days, he departed from him until an opportune time. That ominous foreshadowing of the deadly attack that Satan will indeed make. You know, Luke shows throughout the gospel, Jesus doing battle with Satan, with demons, with evil throughout his ministry. But there is a direct and decisive encounter we read in chapter 22. Then Satan entered into Judas Iscariot. Judas sought an opportunity to betray him. That was the opportune time. So here, once again, Luke provides us with a lot of information. And I hope it's good information so that we would actually know Jesus a bit more. But Luke is also offering us, extending an invitation. I mean, Again, by now we should have more information about Jesus. But by now we should also be more aware of the invitation that's being extended. You see, the invitation is to believe that the closest exit is in front of you. The closest exit is Jesus. You see, Jesus is not just before us only to be an example. He's before us to be Savior and Lord. You see, in the midst of temptation, the way of escape that we are given, the way way of escape that's provided is Jesus. The way of escape is a person, a person who never sinned, who did for us what we could never do for ourselves. He's the way of escape. To look to him, he suffered when he was tempted. He's our great, merciful high priest who's sympathetic to our struggle. He's the way of escape, but you know what? He is also the way of escape even after we give up resisting After we give in to temptation, Jesus is also the way of escape. Remember, only one man. Not every man. Only one man. For those of us who, when tempted and tried, are sometimes failing, I mean, that's a good line in a hymn that we're going to sing in a moment at the end sometimes failing often failing many times failing I mean for those of us who are when tempted and tried are failing the good news is that there was one and only one who when tempted and tried never failed never failed we heard it earlier and we need to hear it again One who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. It's been said, and I think it's true, Jesus' temptation is worse than our temptation. Ask yourself right now, what am I tempted to do? What am I tempted to believe? What am I tempted to not do that goes against what I know is the Lord's will? his revealed will jesus's temptation is worse because he didn't give in he didn't give up he suffered for us in our place even in the midst of temptation you see the the writer says also for because he himself has suffered when tempted he is able to help those who are being tempted Help them on the front end and help them on the back end. Why? Because Jesus is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through Him, since He always lives to make intercession for us. My friends, that is good news. I don't know what you're going through right now, I don't know what you're walking into or trying to walk around. But Jesus always lives to make intercession. He's our faithful and merciful high priest. My friends, look to Jesus, draw near to God through him. He's not only the exit from sin, he's also the entrance to life. He came to seek and to save the lost. He came that we would have life. My friends, through all the changing scenes of life, our God remains faithful. Run to Him. Listen to Him. Trust Him. Amen. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for him doing what we in our own strength could not do. Father, may his victory over sin, over Satan, over death, may it give us courage and confidence to find the exit, the way of escape, but also may it be the way back to you when we find that we've given up or we've given in father help us to remember that jesus is merciful help us to run to him we pray in his name amen